The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. Tonight, we're going to talk about one of the, what I consider to be one of the biggest adversaries to peace in our modern world, one of the biggest roadblocks that we face in our pursuit of joy, both as humans and as Christians. We're talking about anxiety talking about worry. I want to give a quick disclaimer. I'm going to talk about worry in a way that might come across as challenging or dismissive. I want to make it clear that I'm not dismissing your troubles or pains. I know a lot of people in this room are dealing with a lot of very real and very painful things, but I want want you to take it as me challenging the way we react to those troubles and those pains. That make sense? All right, so when you think about worry, in my experience, it's one issue that we in the church tend to kind of skirt over. We don't really talk about it a whole lot. We love to talk about, you know, guns and sex and drugs and stuff, but we don't talk about worry. (laughs) Worry has worked its way. Oh, gee. Everybody welcome Grant. All right. Worrying somehow has worked its way in as being labeled human nature. Like it's something we all just kind of do. Some people do it really bad and some some people don't do it that much. Everyone just kind of worries. It's what you do. But as I mentioned earlier, I feel like our inclination towards worry and anxiety comes at the expense of our peace. And the verse I picture tonight, the question that Jesus asked is, why, why do you worry? And it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27. It says, therefore I tell you, this is Jesus talking. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And so again, to complete the the intro here, I want to challenge the notion that it's normal and okay as a Christian to worry. I don't buy that. I want to challenge myself, and I want to challenge you as you leave to not give way to anxiety and worry. But first, let's pray. And what I want to do is first 15 seconds here, we'll let it get nice and quiet, and I want you to just take, take a second, reflect, pray, meditate, whatever you want to call it, about the worries that you are bringing in to the room tonight. They can be little ones, they can be big ones, whatever. And then I'll pick us up and round us out. So we'll start right about now. Dear God, please let us hear you tonight in any way through something that maybe really clicks with us or maybe something that we completely disagree with. Just help us see you in whatever is said tonight. And we thank you for this time together with friends. Your name, amen. All right, so we're going to break, or I'm going to break, the rest of this time up into two parts. What I consider to be the two main reasons that we as humans kind of turn towards anxiety and worry. Hit it, Kel. One and two. (laughs) Number one, expectations. Number two, perspective. There's the teaser right there. What does he mean? So we'll start first. Number one, expectations. So, about expectations. My guy Tim Keller tells a great analogy here. So visualize with me. 
Suppose someone's taking you into a room, and before, they, before you go in, they tell you, I'm about to take you into a honeymoon suite. You open the door and you go inside, and you're like, man, honeymoon suite, this place is a dump. The linens are worn, the carpet's all stained, and the curtains are dated and tattered. But rewind, what if before you go into the very same room, somebody tells you that you're going into a jail cell? All of a sudden, you enter, and that same room has, has become luxurious and ornate. With life and with religion, I feel like perspective is everything. With worry, perspective is everything. And it leads you to the question, what do we expect out of a life as a Christian? What are our expectations for the way a Christian life should go when it comes to trouble? In the big picture, and even in the day-to-day thing, should our cars break down? Do we expect bliss? Do we expect reward? Do we expect punishment being Christians? Years ago, the cultural and the religious elite subscribed to this idea of the prosperity gospel. And these people believed and they justified their actions around the premise that God had chosen certain people to be privileged and financially blessed, largely based on an accumulation of kind of good deed points that they had done. You be a good Christian and you, you kind of get your Chuck E. Cheese tokens and then you go to the counter with all your tickets, sorry, tokens, tickets. You get your tickets, go to the counter, and you get all these cool and kind of meaningless toys. And it's a blast to poke fun at the way people used to live. But I wonder how much we have a church, we as a church have really departed from this worldview, this way of, of seeing things. Let me give you an example. This one hit home for me. You hear about a preacher's kid driving home late one night, one turn before he gets home, boom, car crash, he dies. In your mind, you ask, man, you say, man, that's tragic. How could that happen to a preacher's kid? This preacher served God for a living, and this is how he was rewarded? We still see the residue of the idea that bad things shouldn't happen to Christians as much or at least shouldn't happen as often as they do to non-Christians. But I would challenge that by saying, when you look at the life of the early disciples, you'll see we don't really have a reason to believe that our earthly lives will be more pleasant. Let me go. There we go. Appreciate it. For instance, James, son of Zebedee, was beheaded. Andrew, whipped and crucified. Thomas, stabbed by a spear. Jude, the brother of Jesus, was killed with arrows. Barnabas was stoned, like the old-fashioned way. Paul was flogged. (laughs) Paul was flogged, stoned, shipwrecked three times, and ultimately beheaded. And all of these people were like Jesus' buddies. They were really close to Jesus. But these terrible things happened to them. Hard things will find us as Christians in our lives here in America. It probably won't be torturing or beheading. Maybe, maybe it is in Iraq right now, but in America it won't be. But tribulation will come in some form for all of us. It already has, and it will continue to. And it will come strongly and swiftly. I don't have to tell you that, you know. But listen to me when I say that your trouble will never be so strong as to overpower the hope that we can have in God. 
Many of those disciples you saw, essentially all of them, were killed while preaching the hopeful message of Jesus. Many of them were killed for that very reason. We can never lose that hope, but our worry can often lead us to lose sight of it. So I challenge you, challenge you all, to change your expectations, number one, about the, hardship, about the hardships that you'll encounter in life, both big and small. The day-to-day and the big picture things. Know that being a Christian won't somehow make things easier for you. Jesus himself said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We can curb our anxiety by not worrying if trouble will come, by learning to trust in God when the trouble comes. Now that's part one. On to number two. What I see is the second reason that we fall into anxiety and worry. Perspective. Perspective on how we view God. It's beautiful though, isn't it? <laughs> Before we start, some automobile advice. A little tip from dad. If you ever buy a car from Canada, <laughs> know that a Carfax vehicle history report rarely has any history of damage or collisions in Canada. I think you can all see where this is going. Carfaxes usually only have information for the U.S., and unfortunately, yours truly did not learn this until he had already signed the bill of sale on my beautiful but history-laden 2007 Honda Fit Sport. <laughs> my very own Gomer. It's a Bible joke. Yeah, we got one. <laughs> she is beautiful, though, isn't she? Mm. Okay. But during this, this car shopping process, and as it kind of winded down, and I discovered the checkered past... I felt like I'd been swindled. I got angry and frustrated, and I started to worry. And I worried about a lot of things. I worried that I had bought a lemon. That's a phrase for like a dead car. Bad car. <laughs> Didn't think about a lemon. I, I worried that the title would not clear from Canada. Remember, it's coming from Canada. I worried that I'd wasted a significant chunk of my scarce resources. I worried that I would have a 2,500-pound paperweight in my garage. Then I worried because I don't have a garage. <laughs> but I, but I, had, I, I had bad dreams about these worries. Anyone ever had, you've been worrying, and your dreams are like all of the things you worried about actually happening? There's no escape. It's terrible. It takes you over. I was so consumed by this worry... And I don't consider myself a big warrior, but I was consumed. And all the while, my entire family had flown from everywhere in the U.S. for a visit. And I see them one or two weeks a year. And I simply hate the fact that I squandered some of this time being wound up and in a bad mood and short and all that stuff. I really hate that. I'm sure you can think about a time where worry has kind of ruined your day as well. But time passed. And everything was okay, or at least it is so far. And it came time to write this talk. Ironically, this happened like a week and a half ago. I was like, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. Time to write this talk, and I was putting it all together, and I was troubled looking back on, on the way that I was worried, the way I was worrying. 
I was thinking about how we as Christians worry. And, and it just didn't sit well with me. In my mind, there is an intellectual contradiction, like a collision when it comes to the nature of worry. I'm going to paint it out for you real clear here. Couldn't get my mind around it. If we believe, if we as Christians believe that we worship an all-powerful God who intimately cares for our best interests, why would we worry about the outcomes of our day-to-day existence, our, our blink of a life? Why would we worry so much about the way things are going, about a car if we had the biggest dude in the block standing in our corner? I, couldn't, I could not give you an answer for that. Why, why do we worry? And quite honestly, I think we worry. When we worry, it says one of two things. And I don't like saying either one of these, but it's the only conclusion I could get to. When we worry, it says one of two things. Number one, we don't think God has our best interests in mind. In short, we don't think he cares enough. That's why we feel like we need to intervene and you know, fix it ourselves. Or number two, we don't think he has the power to influence our life. These are the only two conclusions I could draw about why we worry. There are, I feel like when we as Christians worry, there are fundamental issues with the way we view God. And these are the issues that I see. And when we worry, we are essentially saying, again, that God either cannot or decides not to take an invested role in whatever the outcome of our, of our life may be. What if my Honda Fit is a limit and it dies on me? I won't have a car. How will I get to work? Will my girlfriend Annika be okay taking a bike date? <laughs> How will I get enough money for a car? And thinking these thoughts, I realized that if I were God, I would, I would be a little offended by, by people worrying. I think my worry is offensive to God. It's a display of how I trust in myself, my vision, and my abilities to manage my life more than I trust in him, his vision, and his abilities. I don't like the way it sounds, but I just don't know, I don't know any other way around it. I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. I feel like when I worry... It's a display of how I trust in myself, my vision, and my abilities to manage my life more than I trust in God, his vision, or his abilities. Well, that's the, that's the predicament. That's where we are. That's at least where I am. And the question is, what do you do about it? What can we do to trust more and worry less? That's a good question. What modern the, the self-help books essentially will tell you is kind of remove negative thoughts. Don't allow yourself to have any negative self-talk about yourself. Compartmentalize your thoughts. If you feel yourself getting stressed, go find a nice beach, take a few days vacation, zone out, find an escape, something that just takes your mind off of it all. Just put it away. Don't think about the, the big picture. Don't think about perspective, just think about what is, what's here and what's, what is right now. In short, minim, just minimize critical thinking about yourself and about your situation. Just kind of 
get in that one track state of mind. I, I have a really hard time following any religion, creed, political view, person or agenda that discourages critical thinking. What I believe, my opinion here, is that we as Christians have to let our minds go there. Face the fear, face the worry, and face the question. When I met with the, the, the worry, what if my car is a woman? Go ahead and face it. Think about that question. What if my car is a woman? Well, I might have to bust to work. My dates might be a little less romantic, but I'll find a way. And at the end of the day, I genuinely believe I would be just as capable of experiencing true peace as I was the day before. What is peace? Tim Keller, my guy again, describes it as confidence in God's control of our lives. I feel like if you have this, then you can't, you can't worry. Our happiness cannot rest in the working car, the bigger house, or the closest friend. Because the hands of time will break cars down, even my old Honda Fit. Pull houses to pieces, and it will lay friends to rest. St. Augustine tells us that only the love of the immutable can bring tranquility. The immutable are things that cannot change. There's only one of those in all time, and that's God. Only thing before us and the only thing after us. While in prison, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I think, you, I think everyone in this room could say that too. You know what it is to be in need, and you know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And he was in some situations. Remember, stone, flogged, shipwrecked three times. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. While I was writing this, I didn't plan to do this, but while I was writing this, part of me was faced with this question. I'm like, well, yeah, it's easy, just, easy for you to say don't worry. When you are upper, upper middle class, white America, you've never really had real problems. But Paul, as I just said, had some real problems, had some real enemies, and had some real hard times. And Paul has the secret here. He says, I just learned the secret. It wasn't his calm disposition or his stoic temperament that led him to be content. It wasn't a, a personality trait or anything genetic. He learned to trust and remember that there's a God more capable and powerful than he that has even better plans than he could ever dream of, and he could comprehend. And so I urge myself and you, all of us, to trust God, let go a little bit, and embrace whatever role your, your life will be in a greater, deeper, and wider way than you've even imagined. So to wrap us all up, my friend Sam is going to close us out tonight. For those of you who don't know Sam, he and his friend Frodo were on a perilous quest <laughs> to destroy the ring of power in the burning fires of Mount Doom. And where we will pick up on this clip, clip which is the best 
seen in all three movies, I'll, I'll say that confidently, I'd put it in the top five scenes of all moviedom. But we're picking up here your classic good versus evil story. The forces of men are just getting handed to them at Osgiliath by the orcs and all the bad guys. Morale is low and hope shines even dimmer. And so before we watch, a few metaphors to consider. I don't know why everybody's laughing. <laughs> Making me self-conscious. A few metaphors to consider. Three things to look out for here. Number one, the ring of power. It's about right here. The ring of power, <laughs> gold ring. I want you to think about this ring as our, our own individual will, our selfish will in our lives. Frodo spends the entire trilogy trying to kind of let go of this, this will. Destroy the ring, let go of the will. But even in our efforts to hand over our will to God and Frodo to destroy the ring, we're constantly tempted to kind of turn this will back, back towards ourselves and take, take the steering wheel. If I lost you on that, as this, as this starts, think about Frodo as yourself, Elijah Wood, and then Samwise Gamgee as Jesus, Lord God. Frodo as yourself, Samwise as Jesus, Lord God. 